0: Open, they're away in the golden slipper. There's a great start, and Mick bit on the extreme outside is about the first out just juggler on the outside lunging, but Catlin opening just in front. Jatler trying desperately, can't reach him. Catlin Opening has lost to win the Doncaster by a hit the juggler. This Iron podcast Porsche is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing, and Inglis. 466 yearlings have been catalogued. For the English Easter Sale, scheduled for the 6th and 7th of April. There are siblings to 161 stakes winners, including Group 1 winners like Pirata, Excedence, Vow and Declare, and Tiakau Shark, while the progeny of 169 stakes winning mares will be offered. The list of stallions represented over the two days reads like a who's who of the Australian breeding industry there'll be great interest and deep sentiment when the final yearlings by the legendary Redoute's Choice go under the hammer. First season sires include Merchant Navy, Russian Revolution, Menari, Hellbent, Almanzor, Pariah, Ribchester, Impending, Churchill and Caravaggio. English Auctions have produced 54 Group One winners since 2018, 28 of those Purchase for $100,000 or less. There are more Group 1 winners hiding in the pages of the catalogue for this year's edition of the historic English Easter Sale on the 6th and 7th of April. For more information, go to english.com.au. John Grisdale is not only one of the most senior jockeys riding in Australia, he's also one of the most enthusiastic Just take the last few weeks as an example. He's based at Coffs Harbour where his wife Donna trains a team of 15 horses but he's happy to travel at the request of trainers who continue to support him. Last Saturday, March 6, he had four rides on the Gold Coast which resulted in one win on legal counsel. The previous Saturday, February 27, he had several rides on the Gold Coast including a winner for Brian Guy, whom he's known since his early days at Rose Hill. Three days earlier, he went as far south as Wyong to ride a horse for great supporter Joanne Hardy. During last month, he had rides at Grafton, Port Macquarie, Tuncurry Foster, Ballina, Taree, Musselbrook and as far inland as Armidale. You'd never know John Grisdale is 57 years of age and has been a jockey for more than 40 years. His dedication to race riding is matched only by an insatiable appetite for track work. He rides 15 or 16 horses six days a week at Coffs Harbour and one morning recently he rode the amazing number of 21. John's ridden 26 winners and 48 placings so far this season and is nearing 1,500 career wins. He's ridden for a legion of trainers who have shared a common respect for his ability, his professionalism and his unshakable integrity. John Grisdale, it seems to me, old son, you're enjoying your job as much today as you did when you fought out an Apprentice's Premiership with Darren Beedman in the early
1: 1980s. I absolutely love it, Johnny. I wouldn't do it if I didn't love it. You have to love this game, and, and that's one thing I do. I just absolutely love it.
0: The travelling's the downside, isn't it, for a country-based jockey? How do you cope with it?
1: Well, it's just worked out that way, John. You know, it's... Um, I, I moved the costs over donna and i to you know we'll probably downsize a little bit and we own the place and 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 i'll be just i just become a lot busier mm. yep it just happened it just happened yeah, yeah mm. it just happened yeah. now, John, i don't like let, i don't like to let people down if I, if they want me to go somewhere i try and go
0: hey johnno that's why you're still going strong after 40 years
1: yeah, it's been a quite a while, hasn't it, John?
0: <laughs> There's an old saying, mate, that, that we should all keep in mind. Reputations don't just happen. They have to be earned, and you've certainly earned yours.
1: Uh, my word. You know, look, I've met a lot of lovely people in this racing game and, 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 and continue to meet lovely people in the game. So, you know, they've been good to me, and, and I try and be... I'm very loyal and, and best to, to my ability. One of
0: those lovely people you're talking about is veteran trainer Lenny Wheeler, who legged you on board a nine-year-old on Saturday on the Gold Coast. Legal counsel started thirty dollars odd, and fair dinkum. <laughs> coming to the home turn, he was travelling like a six-to-four chance. How are
1: you feeling then? Uh, when, was, when I was approaching the hometown, I said, This old bugger's going to win today, <laughs> That's the way he's going. He's yeah, yeah. coming a treat. I said, uh, Yeah, you got to have him. And, and he's a lovely man, Lenny Wheeler. He's, he's, a, he's, from, he's based on the Gold Coast and he's only got one or two horses, but he does a good job.
0: Mm. I bet he was thrilled.
1: Oh, mate, he was over the moon. He was over the moon, he was.
0: Mm. Now, John, before the move to Coffs Harbour two years ago, Donna was training out of Kembla Grange and had been for about eight years. Now, you were racing mainly at the Sapphire Coast, Nowra, Maruya, Goulburn, but you were suddenly aware of the increasing presence of the top Sydney stables at those meetings. It was getting harder and harder to compete. Was this the main reason for the move?
1: It was one of the reasons, John, I have to say that. Uh, look, it become harder, especially around the our area with all the Sydney trainers, they, they, they've got these top-line horses and you're trying to compete against them. Mm. Um, then we decided, well, let's look for a place where we can buy and we settled we on Coffs Harbour and here we are.
0: Well, that was 2018 and you negotiated with the Coffs Harbour Race Club to actually lease a property on the racecourse which had been previously occupied by Colleen Underhill. But you struck a deal whereby you were allowed to construct 14 or 15 new stables and uh, you did a terrific job on them. They tell me they're big, roomy boxes.
1: They're absolutely wonderful boxes, Johnny. Look, that, uh, this stable was was old um, when we first bought it and um we gutted the whole lot out, built all these brand new stables, 14 of them, mm. um, and it came up tremendous. It looks really, really good. And we put in a walking machine and a treadmill and and, and we couldn't be happier.
0: Mm. You tell me you've got restricted use of the course proper, which is a beauty for you. What other facilities uh, do they have there at Coffs?
1: Look, we have two sand tracks and, and a little bull ring. Um and we use the course proper when we need to. Uh, we, we try not to ex- uh, try not to use it too much because we don't rip it up, mm. uh, but um, they, they, we, they do let us use it quite often. They've, mm. they've welcomed us with open arms. Which is, which
0: is oh, a- yeah. absolutely. And do you think those local trainers weren't delighted to see Jay Grisdale attending track duty every morning?
1: Uh, you're a very kind man, Johnny, but yes. <laughs> mm. But uh, look, yes, I ride a lot of work and, 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 and I love riding. And as I say, I don't like to see people stuck, so I try and do what I can. Mm.
0: The beach is only minutes away, which allows you to give the horses a lovely change of environment. Do you go down there from time to time?
1: From time to time we do, and it's a good um, it's good mindset for your horse. Um, we go down there, they're nice and relaxed. And they, I can't believe how well they adapt to it. They love going through the water and mm. the waves even brushing over their heads, and they just absolutely love it. So mm. it's a good mindset, especially for older horses. It, it um, just breaks up their routine a bit, and they're, and they're happy horses. Mm.
0: Donna has been around racehorses for a long time, and a very important part of her education was a 10 year stint with the legendary Jack Denham. Ten years, she must have been doing something right.
1: Yes, she must have been doing something. She she learned a lot from him, let me tell you. Mm. Um, Look, She she absolutely adored Jack Denham. She said she had great times there um, Mm. and she learned a hell of a lot from him.
0: Mm. Bart Cummings said once that he taught his son Anthony and his grandsons... Everything they know, but not everything he knew. And I think Jack was a bit the same way, wasn't he? It was a case of look and listen.
1: Yes, yes. And and if you I suppose you picked up a lot of things if you were looking and listening. Is Donna a good boss? Very hard. She's a very hard boss. Look, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like she's good. Uh she works just as hard as me. Don't don't go thinking I'm, I'm not the I'm the only one. She she's there seven days a week as well, and she puts in the hard yards.
0: You've had very good support from local trainers, none more so than Brett Bellamy and Joanne Hardy.
1: Wonderful people, Joanne. I ride nearly every horse in the stable. Um I get first offer. Um, she's been fantastic since i've since I've been here, mm. but Bellamy he, he gives me what rides he can. you know Raymond's his main man Raymond spokes uh, mm. but whatever Ray don't ride he, he normally asks me to ride so mm. you know, we're happy to do that with no problem. I'm not here to tread on anyone's toes. I'm here to just do, do my job.
0: You had a horror run with injuries a few years ago in 2013 a horse reared over with you in the mounting yard at Kembler Grange. They took you to hospital for x-rays, which seemed to be all clear, but the doctors missed a hairline fracture to the fibula. Now, you just went merrily uh, about your business for the next couple of days and a couple of mornings later you found out something was wrong in a terrible
1: way. Yes, my word I did, Johnny. I, I freed myself up on a horse and put all my weight on my left leg. And at that time, with the hairline fractured, it, it snapped.
0: Just parted. Well,
1: mm. I just, yeah. well, we can imagine the pain I went through <laughs> oh, <laughs> when boy. that happened, yeah. But, um, mm. but they missed it. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, yeah, but um, you know, it took a long time to get over that one, actually.
0: Mm. Well, John, you actually retired, didn't you? You announced your retirement at that stage.
1: Yes, I did, Johnny. I, I, I just wasn't healing and stuff like that. Mm. And I spoke to Don. I said, this might be it. We we'll, might we'll, we'll call it quits and mm. retire. So I did. And and um, and um I had the 12 months without riding a horse. And then I started riding a little bit of track work after that. And, yeah. and all of a sudden it became good again. So, so yeah. about three years into it, I went, Let's go back to work. I'm going to go back to race for something that I love doing, Mm. which I did, and um, I'm not looking back now.
0: Mm. Well, there was another little broken bone in between all of that. Uh, One morning at the Warwick Farm jump-outs, you collided with the side of the stall coming out of the gates and fractured a tibia, but it was nowhere near as serious as the previous break.
1: No, nowhere near as serious but uh, any breaks I suppose at my age these days it's a little mm. bit hard to get over but but I get over it but that one was nowhere near as up. Look, I've had plenty of broken bones, John, i tell you mm. in this game.
0: I don't think it's generally known that you're a POM born and read at Barrow Infernus in Cumbria in the UK. You were four years old when you came to Australia with your mum and dad and two siblings. Now, I know Dad's gone. Is Mum still with you, John?
1: Yeah, Mum's still alive. She she's, uh, she lives at Tweed Heads. Mm-hmm. She um, li- lives in a place there. Since my father passed away, she moved there. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I've got to be, oh, 10, 15, 15 years more now. Mm-hmm. She's been there. She's, she's been very happy and, and living at um, Tweed Heads. Mm-hmm.
0: Does she watch your race rights?
1: No, she's too scared. Oh, one of those mums. Yeah, she's scared. Look, she, she'll, she'll look up the results or something like that, but then she never watches
0: them. You'd never sat on a horse when you walked into Bede Horan's Rose Hill stables to become an apprentice in 1979. What a character, Bede Horan. I can see him now. Uh, he'd been a bushy. In fact, he started his training career way out west, but he decided to give it a go in Sydney. He set up shop at Rose Hill. And he was widely respected as a great horseman and a decent bloke, and he had a profound influence on your life.
1: He sure did. He was a wonderful man. Uh, Look, he had forty or fifty horses in work, and I, as you said, I I went there and I'd never been on a horse in my life, never even touched a horse in my life. Mm. And he got, and I got there, and he just taught me everything that I know, and um, I, I. I owe my career to him, that's for sure, because he was such a wonderful man. he just done, done everything to, to to make me as a jockey as I am today.
0: He never lost his love of bush racing, and even though he was based at Rose Hill, he'd often take horses back to the, to the country to find the right race for them. And even though you were a Sydney apprentice, you really cut your teeth on country tracks. He took you everywhere.
1: Yeah, we did. We used to go every weekend to the bush Um, in the early days of my apprenticeship. um, We used to take a truckload and, and, and we, geez, we got a lot of wins doing that. But, you know, you had to place the horses where they could win mm. and I suppose my boss, beat he had to place me where I could win at, the start, at that time, you know. Mm. So I had to learn my trade and we did that. Mm.
0: He trained some good horses too. He, he had a brilliant Group 1 sprinter. Uh, by the name of Pardon Me, Uh, probably the best horse he ever trained. He was a great weight carrier, John.
1: Yes, look, he told me about Pardon Me. um, I never got to see Pardon Me because it was a long time before my time. Uh, But he told me about him. He said he was the best horse he's ever trained. And and then at that stage, he said probably the best horse he'll ever train. But um, he he had a lot of time for that one.
0: Mm. You know, Bede Horan... And we've talked about this before, and you'd remember it better than anybody, he was one of very few horsemen that I've ever met who never swore. If Bede wanted to give something a bagging, he'd call it a cow of a thing. A a 600-kilogram horse could stand on Bede's foot, and he'd just brush it aside and say, get off my foot, you cow of a thing.
1: (laughs) You are 100% right there, Johnny. Look, you never, I never, ever, ever heard a swear word come out of his mouth and that <laughs> was his swear word, the a thing. Yeah. I, got called yeah. it, I got called it quite often, actually. <laughs> <laughs> did you, did you
0: really? Oh, He was a remarkable man, bead horror, and I'll never forget him. He gave you tremendous support as an apprentice and as the winners flowed, other trainers at Rose Hill started to put you on. And I can remember a Wednesday meeting at Canterbury when young Johnny Grisdale rode four winners. That was a pretty rare feat for a kid.
1: It was something that uh, it was like you're in the clouds. You, you don't you just – with snapping your fingers, it was all over. But at the end of the day, I just, I just rode four winners mm. in Canterbury, you know, and, and it was just oh, it was a tremendous day. It was really, really? good.
0: Well, it, it made the news, John, because – Channel 9 News got me to come out to Bead Stables the day after uh, to put together a little colour story on this uh, brilliant apprentice from Rose Hill. I remember it well. Do you recall the occasion?
1: I sure did, Johnny, and I had a little baby face and, and at that stage I, was, I looked like a little schoolboy, didn't I?
0: <laughs> I looked all <I> right myself.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're pretty good in them days, eh? Hey? <laughs> <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with
0: you now. Oh, yeah, you're squared up there. Now, John, your first Metropolitan winner in Sydney was a really nice mare called All Soul for Ray Guy. The race was at Rose Hill, and I'll bet you haven't forgotten that one. Did it carry white with a pink sash?
1: That's correct. Uh, yeah, All Soul was my first city winner. Oh, I think I beat um, Ray's other horse in the race. Hmm. It was called Papa's Favourite, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Beaver Scafield was in the second. I think, they, I think they backed that one, but I, I got up and beat him.
0: Good on you. You know, <laughs> by way of trivia, that mare, all souls, went on to become the mother of two very good horses who won 27 races between them. All Archie was one of them. He was by Arch Regent. He won several Group 2s and Group 3s, but the other one, by what a guest, was called All Our Mob, who won four Group 1s. What a beautiful horse he was.
1: Yes, and uh, she did. She first she, she some good horses, didn't she? Like, look at him, and All Our Mob. He was just a, an unbelievable little horse.
0: You were a favourite with the Rose Hill trainers at that time and one of them was Brian Mayfield Smith. In the era when he knocked Tommy Smith off his perch after 33 consecutive Sydney trainers' premierships. Now, not long after, Brian anointed you as number three rider for the Nebo Lodge Stable, which was owned by Robert Sangster, Millie Fox and Bob Lapointe. I think Jimmy Cassidy was number one and Nigel Tiley was number two.
1: Yes, that's right, Johnny Arms. Look, even though I was, I was number three rider, I, I, I got a lot of rides out of the place and a lot of winners out of the place because mm. the, the bigger Jimmy Cassie and Nigel Tyler couldn't ride them all the time and they were riding for other people as well. So, mm. you know, if uh, they weren't riding them, I was on them.
0: Yeah. So how were the rides allocated? If he had three runners in a race, you'd probably be on the third pick but uh, you'd often be at Newcastle and Kembla where Brian had runners.
1: That is correct. You know, it, um uh, most of the time, if the, if the, he had runners at Kimball and Newcastle, I would be on them for mm. sure. Mm. But if I was in town on that weekend um, and that you say if he had three runners, like you said, I would be on the third string horse. Yeah. But, you know, those third string horses win, a, win also.
0: Mm. Well, there's little doubt the best horse you rode for Brian Mayfield-Smith was Marauding, who had only eight runs for three wins. You rode him only once. At his very first start in the Silver Slipper, you were beaten half ahead by Jack Denham's Maze K Marauding was a giant of a two-year-old, John, and he was very awkward at that stage, and he took some riding in that Silver Slipper. He raced very greenly, didn't
1: he? He did race greenly, but he, he was a horse who was always shown plenty of ability. He was, he was built like a tank as a two-year-old, and... Um, you know he, he had gears when he when he was riding and worked, but when he went that race, he got he got a bit of a check in the in the silver slipper, and then unfortunately he got beat. But he was always in the game and leaps and bounds and go forward. Mm.
0: He won the Penfolds at Newcastle. He won the Toddman Slipper Trial, and then he won the Golden Slipper with Ron Quinton up, uh, replacing Jim Cassidy who was under suspension. But he failed to find that form as a three-year-old. John, and they didn't persevere for long. He had only three runs as a three-year-old for no wins. And then they whisked him off to New Haven Park Stud where he did a pretty good job. In fact, he sired two Golden Slipper winners, uh, Burst and Prowl. He was a good
1: sire. Yeah, a tremendous little sigh. You know, there was a lot of horses, Bob and going around. He was the one of the picket stallions at, at that stage. And, yes, and as you said, he, he got two, another two slipper winners out of him. Mm.
0: John, I'm going to touch on the lowest point of your life, which came in the mid-1980s when you fell ill with a condition that had the doctors baffled. You were finally diagnosed with endocarditis, which is an infection of the inner lining of the heart. It's very rare and it's very dangerous. What were the early symptoms, do you recall?
1: Oh, look, I was at the narrow races one day. I became very, very ill. And, and Maurice um, Logue was there actually with me and he, he drove me home. He said, you better go to the doctor's. So I went to the doctor's and and, and um, I, was in, I ended up being in the hospital for quite a long time, and I couldn't work out what, what was going wrong. Anyway, they, they fired him, and I said to the doctor one day, I said, is, am I going to die? He said, this is the truth. He, when he come out of his mouth? He said, yeah, I think so. Oh. I went, really? I said, anyway, so I'm doing more tests. We're doing more tests. We'll see what we can do. Anyway, they've they, they done more tests than they found this encoditis, but it took them quite a long time to find it.
0: Mm. What did he say, John? Just run that by me again. You said, am I going to die? And he said, what? I think so. What a great bedside manner. <laughs> 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 anyway, they bunged you into hospital. I think you were in hospital at Mount Druitt uh, because I came out there with a camera crew one day to... To have a little yarn with you, and uh, you didn't look well.
1: No, I was very sick, man, wasn't I, uh, Johnny? It, um, you come over and done another story, once mm. again, and and yeah. But look, I, I got out, got out of it, and got over it. But yeah, but that that one almost killed me,
0: mm. Johnny. You lost a kidney during all of that. Was that connected to the condition?
1: Unfortunately, yes. I got an aneurysm on my kidney, and it would, they uh, said, look. The specialist, this not the doctor, said, oh, we're going to die. A specialist said to me, look, it's too close to the kidney to save the kidney, so we're going to have to remove it. Goodness so man. that's what they did.
0: Yeah, and here you are, 57 years old, four, 40 years, four decades in the saddle, and you rode a winner at the Gold Coast on Saturday. You're a freak.
1: Ah, <laughs> do me best, Johnny. <laughs>
0: Hold on there, mate. We're going to clear a commitment on the podcast. Back with John Graysdale after this. When the members of the Sydney Turf Club committee of the mid-1950s announced the creation of their new autumn two-year-old race, they would never have imagined the impact it would have on the racing and breeding industries down through the years. It was Mrs. George Ryder, wife of the then chairman of the Sydney Turf Club, who suggested the Golden Slipper as a likely name. 64 years on, the Slipper is the world's richest two-year-old event. Owners of Golden Slipper winning cults just sit back, and wait for the offers to come from stud syndicates. Owners of stallions who sire a slipper winner get ready to take the bookings. Trainers lucky enough to win one enjoy a profile boost while there isn't a jockey in the country who wouldn't give his eye tooth to ride a slipper winner. Right from the beginning in 1957, the slipper stamped itself as a race for great horses when Todman was the runaway winner. In the years to follow, champion cults like Vane and Luskin Star added to its reputation. Saturday, March 20 is the much anticipated date for the Longines Golden Slipper, carrying a purse of $3.5 million. We've seen some brilliant youngsters in the lead up races, many of them looking like they've been here before. The Slipper will be supported by the George Rider, the Ranvet, the Galaxy, and the Rose Hill Guineas, all Group 1s on a spectacular program. Saturday, March 20, for the 65th running of the Golden Slipper. Well, that bout of endocarditis put you out for one full year, but you were desperate to get back, desperate to ride winners, and it didn't take you long.
1: No, it didn't take long, John. I, look, I went back to Roseville, went back to work after 12 months or so, whatever it was. And uh, it didn't take long to get winners. Uh, I had to get my strength back up, but it took a little bit of time to get my strength back up and riding work and whatever. Mm. But yeah, it didn't take long to get winners again.
0: You've always had your weight under control, haven't you? You haven't had to spend half your life in the sweat box. One of the lucky ones.
1: I have been pretty lucky with that. Look, and when I was probably younger, you know, you go out and, and go out for dinner and partying a little bit, I suppose, and you get a bit heavy. But when, when I got older, it, um, it stayed off me and I was pretty light most of my life. Mm.
0: You've won several stakes races, but that Group 1 has eluded you. Now, at this stage of your career, does that get up your nose or are you a subscriber to the old theory, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen?
1: Yes, well, you know, obviously every jockey's dream to ride Group 1 winners. It didn't happen for me, um, but that's not over yet, I suppose. If I get lucky enough to ride in one and win one, well, I'm looking forward to it, you know, but uh, I don't think it's going to happen because being my age now, I suppose, there's not, it's not much of a chance of getting to ride in a Group 1. But if, unfortunately, it doesn't matter. Look, I've run plenty of other races.
0: You were based at Rose Hill in 2006 when a newly arrived New Zealander called Chris Waller set up shop there with a small team of horses. I think he kicked off with only seven or eight and you were one of his very early jockeys. You wrote a lot of work for the stable and you wrote a few of his early winners. Yes, I did
1: write a fair few of his early winners Uh, as, as I said to you before, but I said, coming out from Newcastle races one day, he said, Well, just train the capers hard. And, you know, and you look at him now, he's just in leaps and bounds and one of the leading trainers of the world.
0: What did he say? This this training racehorse is just hard work.
1: It's hard work. <laughs> and I said, you got to keep persevering. And he did. He did that. You know, he, he was he's very knowledgeable of. Learning things quickly off other people, mm. and and he adapted to his to his own unique style, mm. and um you know he's done a tremendous job.
0: And what is that style, John? Did you see anything in his methodology uh, that suggested look, he had, he'd be such a force
1: later? Well you know, look, he, he he just took little things from trainers, mm. and 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 introduced it to his own little style of how working horses and getting them fit, mm. and it worked for him. Then it just – horses were winning then in town, and then he become bigger when, when he got um, horses for the Ingham's and stuff like that, and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. It's a huge empire.
0: There's been a notable resurgence in the attitude of trainers to veteran jockeys in recent years. And I guess uh, riders like Glenn Boss and Jeff Lloyd have had a lot to do with it. Robert Thompson, still riding in races at 62. And you've got a veteran rider up in your region, Stephen Tracy. I think he actually made a comeback, though, didn't he, Stephen? He gave it away for quite a while.
1: He had a bad car accident, Stephen Tracy, and and he had a few years off. Mm -hmm. And um, look, he came back and, and he rebuilt himself up to be riding winners up this up this way here. and only rode hundreds of winners. I never knew Stephen as well as I do now um, then, you know, but he's a wonderful man. He, he's 63-year-old and, and he's still going strong.
0: Cyril Small, who rode Vaux Rogue in 22 of his wins, is still having uh, the occasional race ride, Cyril's 63, but the daddy of them all, John, is Keith Ballard who rode a winner at Mount Isa on the 27th of February two weeks ago and at a quick calculation, I think Keith Ballard is 67 years old. You're just coming into your prime, Jay Grisdale.
1: <laughs> I won't be riding a 67-year-old, I'm sorry, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll replay that uh, that segment down the track. <laughs>
1: Oh, look, you never know what happens in this game. But, uh, I, I, look, I've got a few more years left in me while my body's still going really good and, and I can keep up with these kids. But I'm, you know, <laughs> 67, well, that's a bit, bit far-fetched. But good on him. Yeah, good on him. Yeah.
0: He rides with his son. Uh, he has a son, Brad, I think is his Christian name, and they often ride in the same race uh, at the Mount Isa and other meetings in that region.
1: I love him, it, eh? It's mm, unbelievable. It's yeah, it's great. Now, John,
0: just looking at some nice horses, I recall you were riding over the years on Sydney tracks. Do you remember Movil Peter? Gee, he was a good bush horse trained at Orange by John O. Johnson. I think you won a tramway handicap on Movil Peter.
1: Yeah, Movil Peter, a little war uh, horse he was. He, he, I did win a tramway on him, um, 150 to one, I think he was, Johnny. Mm. John O. Johnson came from Orange. Uh, he was he was a really really good trainer. Um, I wrote a lot of winners for him. I rode a lot of cup races for him and country cups, and then I won the tramway with him for him. Mm. And I, th- I think I won one of his first ever city winners, a horse called Total Love. Mm.
0: Mm. Yep. Mount Verdi was a stakes winner for you, trained by John Weeman.
1: Yes, he won the swep of Um I won, I think, about 10 or 11 races on him, I think it was, if I can remember rightly. Mm. Um, he was he was such a good horse. He was a bugger. He used to try and buck you off every every day. But, yeah, but you go to the races and he, he put in 100%. Mm.
0: You won a lot of Country Cup races, Bathurst, South Grafton, Orange, Dubbo, several others. You loved the bush. See, that was the... Influence of Bede Horan
1: Yes, I'm sure that was The influence of Bede Horan um, Going to the country races And going to these country carnivals And stuff like that In the early days I used to love going there And, and riding winners and, and riding these Tough old war horses there for, From the bush And they go in these cup races And they, they, they try their heart out mm.
0: Probably the best country cup horse You got to ride Was Tora, Tora, Tora for Tom Mulholland. Uh, You had a great
1: run on that horse. Yeah, we won quite a few few cup races on him, uh, country cup races on him. I rode him the first time I ever rode him, Johnny, was at at, um, Mudgee. Mm. I said, God, this is not a bad little horse, this one. Mm. Anyway, so so I'm setting him for these country cups and stuff like that. So so I want to ride him. So so I I started riding him then and just kept winning – Time after time after time, all these country cup races.
0: Yeah, Donna has trained uh, a few handy ones in her relatively short training career. Skip course uh, was possibly the best of them, John. I think he won five or six for Donna. He,
1: he had the potential of being a very good horse, but um, he was easy. He could run. He'd um, he'd go on the track and he could run you thirty-two seconds for six hundred meters. You know that's very fast for. For a young horse, uh, <clears throat> when she got him, she she fell in love with him very very quickly. He won these races, and unfortunately, passed. He got he broke a leg at race or one day. Mm. We had to put him down, so it was a very sad day. Uh, but yeah, possibly one of the best horses probably she's had. Mm.
0: During your days at Kembla Grange, you got to ride Dark Dream. A Kerry Parker in A Maiden at Maruya. What sort of a good thing was Dark Dream in A Maruya Maiden? Seven months later, he won the Queensland Derby with Tim Clark in the saddle.
1: Yes, I rode Dark Dream. He was very green at this present time, that time when I won on him. Uh, he won it at Morooya, and then he went said he, his second star. He went to Ramwick and just got a bit of nose. Hmm. He looked like he had the potential, I said, to Kerry Park. I said, mate, you've got a nice horse here. And later on down the road a bit, I said, this horse looks like, you know, he'd be good derby horses because he you, you adapted to it so fast.
0: Well, you're a good judge. Seven months later, he was a derby winner before being sold to Hong Kong where he raced well, uh, probably not reaching the heights that were anticipated.
1: No, I don't think he did, but um, sometimes that happens when they go overseas. They don't reach their, their, their full potential when they go into a small knit area living in high-rise boxes, I suppose you want to call them, mm. and they don't adapt to it And with the heat and stuff like that. You might have been better off staying here, but uh, it is what it is. You know, you, The people offer the money, so they've got to take it.
0: Well, you're an inspiration to a lot of people, John Grisdale. You've been an absolute ornament to your profession for more than 40 years and will continue to be for quite a while yet. Well played, mate. Great to talk and thanks for your time on a Sunday morning.
1: No, thank you very much, Johnny, for your kind words and stuff like that, mate. But listen, I love my job and I love helping people and I hope I can write plenty more when there's years to come.
0: John Grisdale on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound.